um, the opportunity to have a special, I'm going to call him a guest speaker, but that's really kind of a bad term for this guy because, uh, <laughs> because uh, he, he's been a long time part of this house for a long time, for decades. Uh, he and his wife, wife Lori were members here and uh, actively involved. In fact, he he helped uh, with the, the sanctuary here, building it and and uh, seeing that get raised up in the kitchen in the back. And so anyway, super involved and uh, it was tough to send him out, but but they're in a good place and we're happy about that. So I'm excited because what my friend Bob has to share to you today is not only uh, theory for him or ideals, but it's stuff he lives. And so his life is, it is, a, it is an example of everything he's going to share. So I just want you to welcome Bob Bertelson up here as he comes and share with us about some practical stuff. Well, thank you. It feels like being home. There's just something special to be here. It's sort of like traveling. You, you, you sleep in hotel beds, and there might be a nice bed, but there's something about coming home and being in your own bed. And worship today was just was powerful for me. You guys have an amazing worship team, and there's just something in me that wanted to step up here and play again with them. If you didn't know, I played with them for years. And you guys are honored. You need to appreciate your worship team. You have an amazing team. So give them another round of applause. So when I speak, it makes it easy when worship is good. See, worship sets the tone. It, it makes the ground fertile and ready to receive. And so you're honored to have a good worship team. So I'm Bob Bertelson. I live locally here. I live over by Pine Lake. I work in an industrial park. You're going to hear about it. I have a little company called Finish Line Resources that I started in, in 2020. The car you see there, I'm an avid racer. That's my 63 Corvette that I race in autocross and road race across the country. So when I was starting this new company for my books, the marketing people said, well, you race, that's something interesting. You need to tie that into your new company. So it's called Finish Line Resources. In 2020, I wrote a book called Created to Make Wealth. Um, you can find it on my website. I'll be selling them in the foyer. Uh, there is not an audio book yet of that one. This past fall, I released The Christian Entrepreneur, A Blueprint for God-Centered Business, and there is audio available on our website. My heart is for finances, for businesses, and and Lord just put things on my heart, and I'm not a I'm not a very good student. I struggled in school, but yet God's called me to write books, and I don't know why. I think he's got a good sense of humor. So I want to talk about financial freedom, the keys to increase. I'm here next week, so I'm going to do part one, part two. I believe the Bible tells us there's several things we can do to align and see increase. But we wrestle with, is it wrong to want financial increase? Because there's something that we've heard maybe as a child and through the church that doesn't maybe support that in all the ways. So let's look at Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God's got a great sense of humor, but he's not cruel. He's not going to say, I made you so you could make wealth, but you can't have it. He's not that way. But then we read in 1 Timothy 6, money is the root of all evil. 
Actually, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money in itself that is evil. It's the love of it. Matthew 27, 57, one of my favorite verses. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had more. There was around 300 or more that followed him. Here's a rich man that was disciple. And when I read that years ago, it just set me free that it's okay to, to have wealth. This man wasn't just a little wealthy. He was a Donald Trump, a Bill Gates. He had a hand-hewn tomb, which only the elite, the very elite had, and he gave it to Jesus. But then we read things like Luke 18, 18. And a certain ruler asked some good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. In 22, when Jesus heard this, he said, you lack one thing. So everything you have and give to the poor and you will inherit treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And we read something like that and we think, oh, I got to give everything away. I can't have anything. I propose that if God spoke to you during worship today and said, Greg, I want you to sell your house. You got to give your house away, your cars away, everything away. Wouldn't there be something in you that would be a little sad? But I've worked long and hard to acquire these things. I know in my own life, there was a time God told me to give my savings away, and it was a big savings at the time. And I was a little bit sad. I wrestled with it. It took a little while. We don't know if this young ruler went and did it or not. But I propose that we would have to think about it a little bit. We might be a little sad. In Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. The definition is wealth regarded as evil influence or false object of worship or devotion. We don't want to worship anybody but God. In the, in the Passion Translation, how could you worship two gods at the same time? You'll have to hate one, love the other, devoted to one, and despise the other. You cannot worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. See, there's, there's a battle going on. God wants to be worshipped and only Him be worshipped. Yet sometimes money slides in, becomes mammon to us. And so... It's okay to have wealth. It's our perspective about it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about stewardship and having the right mindset. See, stewardship prevents mammon, the love of money. So what is stewardship? The conducting, supervising, or management of something, especially the careful, responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. See, it's managing things. But do you notice it says entrusted? When it says entrusted, it implies something that you don't own it. So we're going to start there. Who owns it? In Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God's. In Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Would you agree with me that when you think of silver and gold, that you think of money? It represents money. God's saying the money is mine, it's not yours. So we need to have three mindsets that we're going to talk about today. And the first one is, it's God's, not mine. We have to get that through our thick head. For me, I had to put a little post-it on my mirror in the bathroom, and as I was brushing my teeth or shaving, I was reading it. It's God's, not mine. We have to get out of this idea that we own things, that it's ours. The Scripture just told us we own nothing. Who's the provider? The NBOD. My middle daughter came up with this. She nicknamed me, 
named me the MBOD, National Bank of Dad. Does this sound familiar, Dad? Dad, I need money for this. I need money for that. She thought I was her provider. Truth was, I wasn't. Let's look at some scriptures. In Luke 12, 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Now, we all know that God gave his only begotten son to die for the blackbirds. No, he sent his son to die for human race, for men and women. You see, we're royalty. We're up here because he sent his son. We are prince, princesses of the most high God. Yet, there's birds that are down here, and we have to think, agree that blackbirds are pretty worthless, especially in Ohio. There's by the droves. God's going to provide for them. Surely he's going to take care of us. And who of you by worry can add a single hour to your life? The answer is no one. In fact, if we can adapt what I'm going to talk about today about stewardship and quit worrying about finances, we'll live longer and be healthier. You see, doctors say 85 to 90% of all illness and sickness is due to stress and worry. So if we can adapt some new mindsets, we will be healthier. In Genesis 22:14, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It doesn't say I might provide when he feels like it. It says he will provide. In Philippians 4:19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. It says all our needs, not some of them. I will point out that here in America, especially, we get needs and wants confused. There's a difference. But I believe God wants to bring us to a place that he can meet our wants, not just our needs. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to talk about the misconception. I just pointed out God is the provider. But for some reason, in our society, the last three generations, there's been something taught about the man going to work and earning the bacon, bringing it home, and then sitting on the couch and looking at your phone, playing on on games and watching TV, that your job's done. Man, that is a lie. That is not true. I just point out God is the provider, not us. Our job is to go work, but when we get home, we're to pour into our families, to our wives and our children. Do you realize that their identity, our wives and children's identity, comes mostly from us as husbands and fathers? We pour into them. That's where their identity comes from. When you come home and just sit on the couch and do nothing, you're not pouring into them. Let me put it like this. If you have young daughters... They need attention. They need the right affection from their daddy. Right? What happens when you don't get it? Let me tell you what happens when they're teenagers. There's little boys out there who would love to give them some attention. You're going to be a grandfather before you know it. That's the truth of it. I'll get off my high horse on that. So let me tell you my fire story. When I was 16, I started working in a factory while I was in high school. It was my dad's factory. I worked there until... Well, for many years, but in 1988, I had an opportunity to buy part of the business. I, I have no education as formal education, but I'd worked hard and I got promoted up. We had taken a salesman and it was just killing it, just a rock star salesman. Business was booming. I finally got into management, and because I had worked from the ground up, I had changed things. I had made this place run really good. I have this ability to see flow in production. When I walk into a shop, I can see that if you move this over here, you could double your production. I doubled, almost tripled production. Things were running well. The company was making more money than than it ever had. And I was doing really well until May of 1988 when an employee yelled, fire. Long story short, and you can read about it in, in my book if you care. 
This is the building after the fire. Our production area burned down. It took five fire departments, five, uh, over 80 firemen to come. This was back in the day when there were no cell phones to video it, so the news channel showed up. The newspapers were there. They were interviewing me. I tell you all this to say that from 7 or 7.30 when the fire broke out until 3 in the afternoon, I was busy. Reality wasn't setting in at all. Until about 3 o'clock, the firemen are rolling up their, their hoses, and I'm standing where that red arrow is. The buildings where the blue arrows are, that's the roof that's gone. As I stand there, I'm almost eye level. What I see is a little puff of smoke, a few ambers, and the reality had hit. You see, my wife's pregnant with our first child. I need to bring the bacon home. I got to make some cash here. And I'm doing well. And reality hits. My whole future just went up in smoke, burned to the ground. What am I going to do tomorrow to provide for my family? And as I stood there, I started to get mad because I had worked really hard to make that company work well. I had worked and put blood, sweat, and tears in it. And now it burned to the ground, and I got mad. And as I stood there, because the firemen were just a few feet away, I said it under my breath, and I said, God, how could you do that to me? I was mad at God. Here I'd worked hard. You see, no one was pounding on my door saying, Bob, would you come work for us? Headhunters weren't calling me and saying, we'd like you to be the CEO of this company. No one wanted me. No one knew of me. And there I was. And when I said that, I was so furious. God, how could you do that to me? And God answered in the most audible voice I'd ever heard him speak. I would swear every fireman there had to look up and say, what is this? And God spoke these words. He said, I give the blessing and I can take it away. I was crushed. You see, I had mistaken again about God being the provider, thinking I was doing something great. Was I called to work hard? Yes, but it's God's blessing. It's him that gives. So our second mindset has to be, it's God's responsibility to provide, not mine. First, it's God's, not mine. Now it's God's responsibility to provide, not mine. So stewardship, the careful, responsible management of something trusted one's care. I gave you all this background so we could get to this. This is the meat of it. In Genesis 2.15, God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. It does not say anything about it. He put him there and gave him land. It doesn't say he gave him that this is yours, you, you own this. He was put there to steward it. So in the second chapter of the Bible, stewardship was on God's heart. It started a long time ago. Let's read in Matthew 25, 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servant and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, each according to their ability. First of all, we see that word entrusted. He was calling them to be stewards. Number two, we see the word ability. Some were given one bag, some were given two, one was given five. I had some misconceptions in my head about the scripture from when I was a boy. For some reason, I always pictured that this rich guy just went around and just started handing out money to people and said, go invest it. I believe that they were people that had ability. He must have known them that they were good at it or he wouldn't have given them money. And he did it according to what they could be trusted with. So let's read on. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. Also, the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. In verse 19, after a long time, the master of the servant returned and settled account with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Come, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. I got to tell you that I got saved at the upper room. It wasn't this building. It was a little veterinarian's office, a meeting above it when I was 14. I heard this scripture shortly after, and there was just something in me that cried out. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I pictured that it would be when I die and I'm before God and I'm hanging my head. And I'm like, oh, God, please just let me to heaven. I just want to get to heaven. And I'm hanging there, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Huh, what? But I don't think that's true. I think it's perpetual. And what I mean by that is in this parable, had it been the end of the time, that servant would have gotten five more bags of gold and then dropped over dead. It was over. It doesn't say that, so it's perpetual. What I actually believe happens is we hit seasons in our lives, and we steward and we do well, and we're here, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You can be entrusted a little more, and we step up a little bit, and we run through another season. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You can be entrusted with a little more, and it goes up. See, it's perpetual. In fact, I would suggest that it maybe be a daily occurrence, that we have a hard time receiving that, that God would say, well done, that because all we see is the screw-ups we do each day. But God sees what, what's really in our heart. And he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's perpetual. So if we're a good steward, we step up, we steward a little more. Then we step up and we do a little more. Faithful few things put in charge many things. If we are faithful in what we have, God can give us more to steward. I think... We've all been stewarding what we have. We all have an income that we steward. I would propose that you probably make more now than you did 10 years ago. So you've been entrusted with more. But if you want to see bigger increase, we need to really dive into this and see what can we do to be even a better steward. But let's read on in verse 24. This is the man that received one bag of gold, came. Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, you hear what is... Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where they're weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good stewards get more to steward. Bad stewards lose what they have. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I'm just going to be blunt. I'm a straight shooter. Your finances feel like they're just devoured and gone, that I just can't seem to make ends meet. Maybe your stewardship style needs a little addressing. If you're not seeing increase, maybe stewardship needs addressing. Stewardship started when I became a Christian. Like I told you, when I was 14, and that veterinarian's, I asked Jesus into my heart. I surrender. I give you my life, Lord. It's no longer mine. I'm just a steward of this body. I'm a steward of finances. It's all started when we gave our life to the Lord. A-plus powder coaters offers a high-quality product due to our commitment to Jesus Christ and our pledge to be good stewards of all God has blessed us with. I wrote this in 1996 with the help of Kathy Myers and my wife when we started A-plus powder coaters over here in Industrial Park. That's my main business where I spend most of my days. 
I don't, I show you that just to say that stewardship is not the flavor of the month for me. Like, hey, that'd make a good message. I have to say stewardship is probably my life message. It's something that's been in me probably 15, 20, maybe 25 years before I even wrote that. It's something that I've just been captivated with. So let me tell you the A-plus powder coat stewardship story. 1996, we started the company. We struggled along. 2014 was a booming year. At the time, we had about 25 employees. We were about 40,000 square feet. Things were going really well. We needed more space. So my wife and I do what we always do before we ever make a move in the company. We prayed, and we prayed, and we fasted, and we prayed. And we felt God said, go ahead and, and add on. So 2015, we had a 20,000 square foot building. That's 50% growth. We order a bunch of equipment. What you need to know about me is I'm a hands-on guy. That yellow car you saw, I didn't hire somebody to build it. I built it. I like to turn wrenches. I like to weld. I like to paint. So when we put equipment in A+, I really get jazzed. I'm out on the floor. I'm not telling somebody how to do it. I'm out there doing it with them. And so I tell you that to say that beginning of 2015, started off, sales are way up here. We get a new building. March rolls around, and I start putting equipment in. It took me until the end of September to get all the equipment in. Now, I noticed the warehouse wasn't quite as full, and I noticed sales were dropping a little bit, but I wasn't too concerned. But here I am, end of September, and I'm looking at the books and realize, this isn't good. We're at break even. For those that aren't in business, break even means you bring in enough money to pay the bills, but there's no extra. Well, we had borrowed money for equipment. We need extra. And so I do what any good business owner. I start trying to breathe life and put life back into the company. Where can we get sharper? What can we do better and not spend as much? And so I start working on it. October rolls around, and I'm working hard on it, and it's getting worse. We're now losing money, and we're losing big money. It's not good, but I'm trying hard. I'm trying to resuscitate this baby. My baby, A+, come on, you can do it. And I'm stressed over it. You see, I had 25 employees. They're all counting on me to supply their income, so I'm carrying them. I'm carrying this 60,000 square foot building and now we got loans and I'm carrying it. And it was getting heavy and I, oh, it was just crushing me. We had been invited back in June when I thought things were going good to go to Oklahoma to the HAPN conference, Heartland Apostolic Prayer Network. So we were there. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be back working on my baby, trying to breathe life into it. But I went First night there was a Wednesday night. They had an altar call for something, and I went forward for prayer. We get done, and I was standing on the side, and this lady, Nancy Foray, someone who has stayed in our home, knows that I have a business and spoken at the church we attend, knows me, comes up to me and says, how's it going, Bob? And I did what every good Christian does. I lied. I'm doing great. <laughs> a little smile. You know, we can't tell the truth when we're not in church. That's not right. So then she said, well, how's business? And I couldn't keep the charade up any longer. I said, well, Nancy, it's not doing really good. I'm faced for the first time in my life laying people off. What kind of schmuck lays people off right before Thanksgiving and the holidays? I don't want to be that guy. And I vented. And I let it all out. And she stood there. And she's a little, little lady. And she just smiled. And I got done venting. And now Nancy's retired, single woman, doesn't have a lot of income. And she looked at me and smiled and said, Bob, you need to give it to the Lord. And I said, in my head, I'm thinking, I know, lay it on the altar, blah, 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 blah. And I said, and I smiled, sir, nodded. And she said, Bob, I gave my house to the Lord. 
And she said, when I did that, when my refrigerator broke, I prayed, Father God, your house has a broken refrigerator. What are you going to do about it? And God provided a new refrigerator. And then when my roof started leaking, I didn't have the money for a roof. She said, Father God, your house has a leaking roof. What are you going to do about it? And God provided. The bells and whistles went off. Like I told you, I love stewardship. She's talking about stewardship at the next level. You see, we got to constantly be learning. I'm always trying to learn about stewardship. And so I went back to the hotel with Laurie that night, and I told her about it in the car. It was late, went to bed. It was 1 or 2 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I got up. The weight of the company was still on me, but I was thinking, this is the answer. And so I type my prayers. This is my laptop. I take it everywhere that I, that I travel. And I started typing my prayers. Father God, forgive me for once again trying to be the owner and provider. Forgive me for trying to take control of what you're doing. Lord, I'm so sorry. I ask forgiveness. Father, I give you A-plus powder coaters. It is no longer mine, but it's yours. I got to tell you, in that instant, that weight, the ton of pressure just lifted. Oh, I feel good. I'm a little slow at learning. I need to be taught lessons. I had to have a fire, then I had to have my business about crushed. And so I thought, I need a reminder of what just took place. And so I thought, I'm going to write a decree, and I'm going to put it on the wall in my office just to remind me never to take ownership of A-plus again. And so I started writing something, and it was going to be a declaration. And as I finished it, I thought, I want to have it framed. I want it to look nice. And I looked up the definition of a declaration, a loud, bold statement. I want that. That's what I'm, yeah. And then I, for some reason, I looked up the definition of a decree, a legal binding document. And I thought, God, I want a covenant with you. I want a legal binding document in the courts of heaven that says A plus is yours and it's no longer mine. Let me share with you what I wrote. I, Robert and Larry Bertelson, current owners of A plus powder coaters on this day, give the aforementioned company including but not limited to the land, building, equipment, contents, and all other assets to the Lord God. From this time forward, it will be 100% the Lord's. I relinquish my ownership and trade my ownership for stewardship. I pledge to be the best steward of what God has entrusted to me. I acknowledge I am an ambassador for him wherever I represent this company. I will not try to regain control of the company, but work diligently to follow the Lord's vision for the company from this day forward. This is it hanging in my office. It's right at eye level. I can't open the door without seeing it because I need that reminder. I've written one since then that's for the home. My wife and I gave our home to the Lord. I've written one also for ministries. Many churches I speak at give their church. They want to honor God with it. You see, there's nothing magical or mystical about the decree. It's just a reminder for me. It's a, it was an exercise. It's signed by somebody in authority, a pastor at our church, because I wanted a witness. I want God to own everything. So let me tell you about the results of what happened. I told you the weight was lifted. I want to tell you about the sales. They plummeted. They went in the toilet. They went bad. But my prayers changed. Father God, I remind you and myself that A-plus is yours. Folks, it's okay to remind God with scriptures and remind them the deals we make with them. God's okay with that. So Father God, I remind you A-plus is yours, not mine. Father, your company's losing money. What are you going to do about it? I did not, there's two tones you can take with saying, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, God, huh? 
Or you can be humble and say, God, what are you going to do about it? So I asked God, what are you going to do? And then I prayed, Father God, what do I do as a steward? What are you calling me to do in A+. Father God, if A plus is to close up, if it's time to run out, I hope it hasn't, but if it has, help me to walk it out as a Christian man with integrity. Help me walk up right before you. You see, what happened was I came to a place of rest. See, true stewardship is a place of rest. It's not anxiety. It's not stress. It brings you to a place of rest. See, that weight was lifted from me when I surrendered to God. Father, I give you a plus in all the bad things that are going on there. It's yours. Let me give you a little proof of it. As I told you before we went on that trip, I was trying so hard, desperate to revive a plus. I was stressed. I was feeling the weight, and I snapped a lot, especially at my wife. So we're out to dinner with some friends, Mark and Sherry LaMancha, several of you know them. They've been friends since I was 14 or 15. Then we lived next to them. We raised our kids together. They know me probably as well as anybody. We're out to dinner, and then we go play cards at our house, and we're playing cards, and I'm telling them about what God has just revealed to me about stewardship. And Sherry looked at me, and she said, Bob, I've known you of a long, long time. And she said, I could always tell when business wasn't doing well or you were stressed. You become withdrawn. You're not competitive at cars. You're not sarcastic, and you're not jabbing and being fun. She said, but had you not told me that A-plus was losing money, I would have assumed it was doing the best ever because there's something about you. Your continence has changed. You see, there was a place of rest that came into me, and that's what stewardship brings. See, it's a mindset that we need to have. See, our mindset is it's my responsibility to steward God's things. If you are striving to try to make it happen, you're not stewarding. There is no striving and stress in stewardship. It's a place of resting and talking to God. Father God, what are you going to do about these things? Stewardship should bring a place of rest and trust. Lord, I'm trusting in you to meet my needs. You'll take care of everything. There's no anxiety or stress in the stewardship. I want to finish the scripture I started earlier in Luke 18, 24. Jesus took him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? We're talking about that rich ruler. Indeed, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I want to propose a different take on this. If you're a steward, your net worth is zero. You might steward millions of dollars, but you're not the rich person. It's Father God. He already told us he's the owner. He's the rich one. We're just managing it. So it makes it easy to get into heaven and still manage wealth. See, our caution has to be that we don't become mammon. We start loving mammon, loving wealth. As long as we have the right perspective, that, that stewardship mindset, that's, how we, that's the key to all this. So it's time to change our mindset. It's God's, not mine. It's God's responsibility to provide, not mine. And I'm a steward, not the owner-provider. I'm going to just close with a couple things. Doing this, nothing, expecting a different result is insane. See, if you leave today and, oh, that was a nice message. Yeah, stewardship probably works. It's not going to work for you. There's not going to be a change. You'll be same place, stressing over your finances next week when you come back. So let's talk about what you need to do. 
Practical steps. Change your mindset to stewardship. Lord, I'm going to be a steward. It's just simple. I just need to change how I think. Put post-its in your bathroom until it becomes reality for you. We need to ask God to forgive us for being owner and not being the steward. You see, there's times we do things. I don't think anybody in this room intentionally picked up the ownership and provider mantle from God and said, God, I'm taking it from you. It's just something sometimes we do, but it's still wrong. It still needs forgiveness. We can't, as Christians and as we get seasoned, we can't get to the place that we don't still need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. It's only by the grace of God we go. So we have to ask him for forgiveness when we mess up. We need to give our possessions to God. It might be getting one of my decree of ownerships, and I do sell them, or, or you get one free with a book if you buy a book today. But it may just be you need to write your own note. It may just be you can remember it on your own. You don't need anything. That's fine, too. But you need to get to the place of giving away your cars, your houses, your companies, whatever you might have. Start asking God to provide. Father God, our household's in need. What are you going to do about it? What do you have for me to do? How do I handle this? Live within your means. If you're making forty, maybe $50,000 a year, living in your means does not mean buying a new Cadillac Escalade. I don't care what the interest rates are on it or the lease payment. It's really not in your means. But I do believe that as we steward, it will become in your means if we're a good steward. There's, it could be that, boy, I'd just love to have that someday. That's fine. But do it through stewardship. Consider a budget. First of all, a budget is not stewardship. They are not one in the same. A budget is a tool to help in stewardship. So it's a good tool. If you have trouble spending money and tracking what you're doing with it, then you might need to consider a budget. Only borrow for assets. I'm going to step on your toes again. There's only a few things in the world that I believe in borrowing for, an asset. An asset is something that appreciates and gains value, like a house. When I'm done paying for my house, it's worth more than I paid for it, particularly if I can keep my payment short and pay it off soon. A business, it generates income. It's an asset. Let's talk about a liability, buying a car. It's not worth as much in five years when it's paid off as when you bought it. So we need to consider about where we spend our money. Work hard and be impressive. Position yourself for advancement. You never know who will be your next boss. I'm an employer. We currently have 60 employees at A+. I'm always looking. I'm looking inside my shop. Who's stepping up? Who's really impressive? Who, who makes the mark here? Who's really just, man, they're just a go-getter. They get advancement. I'm always looking when I'm out and about. Ten and a half years ago, my wife and I were at Phoenix Grill in Canfield, Ohio. New restaurant. This gentleman... His name's Nick, came up. Hey, how was everything? I assumed he was the manager, and he was. How was your meal? I said, it was great. And, and you know, just waited. I watch him. I'm a watcher when I'm in restaurants. He went to every table. What really impressed me was there was a table that wasn't busted because the busboy was over here. Now, there's a choice for a manager. Hey, get over here and get that table busted or do it yourself. He decided he'd just do it because there were people waiting, and he wanted to take care of his customers. I thought, man, this guy. It wasn't long after being there a few times, I want this guy an A+. He came in as my quality manager. He's now my operations manager, one of my highest paid staff. You never know who will be your next boss. I hate it when I go into a fast food restaurant and the person hates their job. Can I help you? 
yeah, please don't ever apply at A plus and I'll take a burger. They don't know that I'm an employer. You don't know who you're talking to a lot of times. I'm always scouring. And lastly, become an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you have to sell your home and buy land and put up a big building. Do you like mowing grass? Have a tractor? Maybe start off slow. I'm going to mow a few of the neighbor's yards and get paid for it. It takes off and now I hire somebody or I quit my job. Or maybe it's washing windows. You need a ladder, you need Windex, and you need rags. It's not a big capital expense. I'm going to start doing windows. I can't believe what I pay to have the windows in our house done. It could be a very lucrative business. But maybe God's calling you to steward a business. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. The key to increase, this first one for this week, is stewarding. When we steward well, we get more to steward. Not happy with what you have to are stewarding now, then I suggest that you need to make a change. Maybe you need to step it up a little bit. Maybe you need to ask God, what do I need to change? Do I have the right mindset? You see, I think everyone in this room wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to say that I believe God's speaking that over us now, not just at the end of our lives. I think it's a daily and a seasonal thing. Allow God into your finances. Adapt a new mindset. There's times we get stuck in our finances. Ask God. Don't be afraid. Don't be too proud to ask for prayer. That particularly us men, we don't want to stop and ask for directions. Now we have a phone we can do, but years ago we didn't want to stop at the gas station. But there's times we need to stop and ask for help in prayer. So if you need prayer, they'll be up here. I do have my books and decrees for sale in the back. I'll be selling them. Um, And you get a free decree if you buy a book today. Uh, If you have questions, please see me afterwards. But uh, I just want to pray for us. Lord God, we are just so thankful that you're willing to be the owner and provider, that we get the easy part. We just get to be the steward. Lord, what an honor, Lord, to steward your things. Father, I just pray over this congregation that you would just ignite in them a stewardship mentality, a stewardship heart. Lord, that they would steward your things well and that they'd be entrusted with more and with more and with more, that you could trust them, that they'd be doing what you've called them to do. Lord, you speak a blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for your time.